Good evening, everyone. Welcome to all of our visitors. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles, we'll be in 1 Timothy 3.16 mainly. 1 Timothy 3.16. Remain seated and let me read this and pray for us. Starting in verse 14. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Let's pray together. Father, as we come before your word now on Christmas Eve, we're so grateful that we can gather to sing carols that remind us of this wonderful moment that was for our redemption, the birth of Christ. We pray that you would meet with us now and you would show us Jesus clearly, powerfully in this passage. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, it's been a really wonderful time, hasn't it? Just worshiping the Lord together this evening on Christmas Eve. Uh, One of the early church fathers, uh, Augustine, uh, when he was just starting out in the faith, this was in the 4th century AD, uh, he sat in a church service where he heard the church singing uh, hymns. And later he wrote the following words of appreciation to the pastor of the church. Augustine said, How I wept during your hymns and songs. I was deeply moved by the music of the sweet chants of your church. The sounds flowed into my ears and the truth was distilled into my heart. This caused feelings of devotion to overflow. Tears ran and it was good for me. I think we can all agree with that tonight, right? This is good for us. Sounds flowing into our ears, truths distilled into our hearts, and devotion overflowing. It's good for us to sing these carols to Jesus, carols filled with the wonderful truth about Jesus. So for just a few moments, I want to look with you at a joyful carol about Jesus, which we just read in 1 Timothy 3.16. And I can get away with calling it a carol because it's Christmas Eve, and if you go to the dictionary, a carol is just a song of joy or mirth. So we can get away with it tonight. It's fine. We'll call it a carol. But it's more than just a carol, more than just a hymn about Christ. It's a confession of our faith. Great indeed we confess, says Paul, is the mystery of godliness. See, confessions and carols, they they go hand in hand because truths that are worth confessing are truths worth caroling about. And I've called this Christmas Eve homily, this brief meditation on God's word, a carol that will change your life. And I know it's a carol that will change your life because Paul calls this carol, this early hymn about Jesus, which he's quoting here, the mystery of godliness. It's the mystery of the godly Christian life. Not a mystery like the kind you have to follow clues to figure out, but a mystery in that it was something once hidden, unknown, unclear, but now it's been made fully and clearly known in Jesus Christ. In fact, The mystery of godliness, which Paul is speaking of, is Jesus Christ. Just to give a little bit of context before we get into this, Paul is writing to Timothy to set things order in the church. He's writing about behavior in the church, about church polity, church government. I'm sure you know how the saying goes, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is a Christmas Eve meditation on church polity for all to hear. I'm just kidding. But there's something amazing about this. In the middle of this letter, talking about church government, conduct in the church, setting things right in the church, the core of Paul's instruction, the heart 
of what he has to say. It's not a list of instructions. That comes before, that comes after. But what he says here, the core, the foundation of what he's speaking about is Jesus Christ. That's the mystery of godliness. That's what changes your life. It's Jesus. As Paul puts it elsewhere, you need to learn Christ. Learn Christ. Learning Christ will change your life. Nothing else can and nothing else will. Not the kind of change that you want. Not the kind of change that you need. And this is the place to learn of him. It's the responsibility of the church as a buttress and pillar of the truth to proclaim Christ, to hold out the message of Christ to a world who desperately needs him. So that's what we want to do together tonight. We want to proclaim this truth about Christ. Just looking for a few moments at this early Christian hymn, this carol of Christ's life. We'll go line by line through it, and we'll also do a little more caroling as we remember uh, some of the carols that we've already sung tonight. So first, he was manifested in the flesh. The he here refers to Christ. Probably was a little more clear in the hymn that Paul's quoting from. The way Paul puts it here, it could be stated, uh, the mystery of godliness was made manifest in the flesh. That just drives home the point, right? That this mystery of godliness is none other than Jesus. That's the mystery of the godly Christian life, learning and knowing Christ, growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We celebrate Jesus' birth at Christmas, but he didn't begin at Christmas. He was manifest in the flesh. We can go to John 1 and we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is really important. You can't miss this. Jesus is God. If you get the incarnation wrong, if you get Christmas wrong, then you get the Christian faith wrong. If Jesus is nothing more than a cute little baby laying in a manger who grows up to be a fine moral teacher, then he can't do anything for you. There's absolutely no reason to be here tonight singing carols of Christmas if that's all Jesus is. Just go home, open some presents, crack open some eggnog, forget about it. C.S. Lewis drove this point home famously when he said that this is the one thing Jesus won't let you make out of him. He's either an unhinged lunatic claiming to be God, Lewis said on the level of someone who claims to be a poached egg, or he's a manipulative devil claiming to be God. But he won't let you say he's just a good person. That's the one thing he won't let you say. So let me ask you tonight, what do you really believe about Jesus? The Christian church puts our song where our belief is, and we sing, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. So great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. Jesus became like us. Next, he was vindicated by the Spirit. The fact that the eternal God was revealed in the flesh, was manifested in the flesh, is the reason for this vindication by the Spirit. This is speaking of his resurrection and what the resurrection itself declared about Jesus' life and death on your behalf. Paul opens his letter to the Romans saying that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Put it this way. When any human, and remember, Jesus is, he took on flesh, he's fully God and he's fully man. When any human enters the grave, death comes for its due. 
But Jesus didn't owe a single thing to death. The wages of sin is death, but Jesus had no sin. He was perfectly righteous. He never broke God's law. He was never ungodly, which means death had no claim on him. So the Spirit hits pause on condemnation because death has no claim on Christ. Instead, Jesus isn't condemned. He's resurrected. He's raised to life again, vindicating him as the perfect one, as the righteous one. And that's good news for sinners like you and me. Because all Jesus is, as the perfect one, as the righteous one, he is for you. He is for you if you, by faith, are clinging to Jesus for rescue, believing that he came to redeem us. That's the only way to share in his resurrection victory over the grave. So we sing, O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory or the grave. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was vindicated by the Spirit. Jesus triumphed over the grave for all who believe. Next in the hymn, we see he was seen by angels. This is really cool. I like this a lot. This might be the coolest line in this hymn, but probably the line that moves us the least. I think it's because maybe as human beings, we're a little self-centered when it comes to Christmas. Yes, the baby in the manger is our Redeemer who came to save us sinners. But get this, the angels knew of this baby who would be born. They knew of this person who was incarnate for our salvation. They knew of this Jesus long before you were even a glimmer in your mother's eye. What they saw about Christ from that first moment in Bethlehem throughout his life and throughout the work of redemption that he accomplished on our behalf was mind-blowing to the angels. It was mind-blowing. I'm sure of that because God didn't do any of this for the angels. When some of the angels rebelled with their leader, the enemy, Satan, there was no gospel for the angels. There was no Christmas for the angels. Angels only know the grace of God by proxy. They only know it as a spectator, seeing it work itself out and God working it in your life. And it blows their minds. I think that's pretty amazing. You see, angels throughout the life of Christ, they announced the birth of Christ. They cared for his needs and the desert temptation. They announced his resurrection at the tomb. And then when the disciples are standing there dazed and confused after they see their Savior ascend into heaven in a cloud, it's the angels who say, wake up, what are you doing standing around? Get on with the mission. He is coming again. It's their job, right? Angels are messengers of God. It's what they're made to do. But I'm convinced that they are eager to do it, that they're on the edge of their seats throughout this story, peering over the stable wall, looking around the corner, trying to get a peek at the manger, trying to get a glimpse of this, bending low to earth to see the glory of the long-awaited and now-here gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.12 tells us that this salvation, this story of salvation that the Bible holds out to us, that was proclaimed by the prophets and that's finally revealed in Jesus Christ, uh, is something into which angels long to look. So we sing, it came upon a midnight clear, that glorious song of old, from angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was seen by angels. Jesus' work on your behalf blows angels' minds. At the very least, that should shake you out of any kind of sentimental complacency that you're in tonight. 
Let Christmas be mind-blowing for you like it is for the angels. Next, he was proclaimed among the nations. It goes without saying, right? The story of the God who became flesh, who rose again victorious over the grave to save sinners was a story that wouldn't be contained. The Christmas story would not be confined to a corner in the Middle East. This story would go out into all the world. Jesus commissioned his disciples, telling them to be his witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And that's where we are right now. We're in the ends of the earth. We're in Temecula, California. Just think about it. Native peoples in this part of the world at one time gripped in dark pagan rituals, trying to find a way for vindication and acceptance and inclusion. And we're not so different, are we? We've been drawn away into any number of 21st century alternative offers of validation and acceptance, these deepest desires of the human heart. And upon a people like us, gripped in false religion and gripped with false hope in this land, upon this land, the people who dwelled in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Because God of God, light of light, born of Mary, born in Bethlehem, has shone into our hearts the light of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we sing, we sing, look to the light that has been revealed. Oh, come, all ye faithful, from Bethlehem to Belize, to California, to Cuba, to Japan, to Jerusalem. Come and behold him, born the King of angels, Christ our Lord. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was proclaimed among the nations. And we proclaim tonight, as we sing carols and as we sit before the word, Look away from the darkness and to the light of the Christ that was born in Bethlehem, to the Christ that we celebrate in Christmas. He was believed on in the world. This line really presses home a question uh, that you need to consider tonight. Every one of us needs to consider it. The question is this, do you believe? Do you believe? Is this just a nice tradition to tack on to a Christmas celebration? Or are you prepared tonight to say, yes, I believe? Some of the greatest stories of belief in the Bible are women who were confronted by the reality of Jesus and they believed. We read that story already of Mary when she was uh, told that she would give birth to Jesus. She was the first person to receive this news of a Savior who would be born, who would be named Jesus because he was coming into the world to save his people from their sins. She's a young virgin who would soon be wed to Joseph, but this wouldn't be Joseph's child. The angel Gabriel told her it would be a supernatural birth. She would miraculously conceive and bear a son and name him Jesus, the Savior. And she was a little confused. Of course, of course she would be. But she said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. See, Mary was confused, but she believed. She didn't have it all figured out, but she believed. Another scene later in John's gospel, Jesus, now grown up, he stands face to face with the death of a friend, and he speaks to his dear friend Martha. It's Martha's brother, Lazarus, who has died, and he tells her as she faces her fears over death, he he tells her this wonderful news. He makes her a, a wonderful promise, and then he asks her the most important question that anyone could ever answer. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me 
Though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe this? It's a question for us all. You can't ignore this question. You can't hide from this question. Christmas is an invitation to believe. This evening, together, singing tonight, reflecting on these truths, hearing the word read and singing carols together, it creates space in the middle of our confusion and our hurt and all the difficulties that we face so that we can answer that question. Do you believe? Do you believe? Martha could have walked away. Mary could as well, but they didn't. They believed. They leaned into Jesus in the middle of confusion, in the middle of anguish, and they put their faith in him. Martha said to Jesus, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Martha, with her heart broken, gives her heart to Christ. So we sing, What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring him a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can give him, give my heart. So great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. Jesus was believed on in the world. Do you believe? Do you believe? Finally, he was taken up in glory. The song comes full circle, this carol that will change your life if you believe the truths that it declares. These great and glorious truths that we confess and that we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus was taken up in glory. That might sound like sad news if that were the end of the story. I mentioned the disciples, right, standing around confused, bewildered, wondering what was up with Jesus ascending into heaven in a cloud and leaving them behind. But it's the hope of the Christian, it's your hope tonight if you believe, that Jesus is coming back in glory. And when he returns, he's bringing glory with him. He's bringing glory. We set our hope on that return, and it compels us to live a changed life of godliness, setting our minds on things above and not on things that are in this earth. Paul says in Colossians 3, 4, that if you believe in Jesus, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. So we sing, not in that poor lowly stable with the oxen standing by. We shall see him but in heaven, set at God's right hand on high, when like stars his children crowned, all in white shall wait around. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Jesus was taken up in glory, and he's coming back, bringing glory with him for all who believe. So I want to urge you tonight, make sure that your heart is given to this Savior we celebrate. Believe. Believe in Jesus, the Savior born in Bethlehem. Believe in the Savior who was raised for your rescue. Believe in the Savior who amazes the angels, the Savior that we proclaim tonight, that Christ would be believed on in the world and that he would be believed on by you, the Savior who is coming again, bringing glory for all who believe. Do you believe this? This is what we celebrate at Christmas. Let's pray together. Father, may the light of Christ reach into the darkness of anyone here that's still blind to the baby born in Bethlehem. May the glory awaiting your children fill us with a joy that outstrips meager holiday cheer. May we believe, may we sing, and may our lives be a godly witness to the Christ who changes us. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.